two winters ago, uh, we had a house fire and kind of forced our hand to make a decision about what to do. And we didn't have the insurance money to put the house all back together, but we did have enough to pay off the mortgage and buy a piece of land up here and move. So that's what we did. And wow. when, when we got to it, yeah, we got to a raw land with just a tent and a pile of lumber. This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast. I'm Matt DeRozier. Today, my guest is Guy Alaska. That's his legal name. I verified it. And it just so happens to live in Alaska. How about that? He's a homesteader in Northeast Alaska with a wife and like 10 kids or something, it seems. Uh, and because he's in Alaska, he has horrible internet. And so we're on the phone right now. Um, anyways, Guy, how are you doing today? Not bad. How are you, Matt? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. We'll hope, hopefully this works out well for both of us. So, Yeah. So, um, you're like a Bushman, like an Alaskan Bush people guy, but without a TV show. Uh, I I was looking through your wife's Instagram that you sent me, like a, a link, and you guys are like real Bush people. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yep. We we try to distance ourselves as much as we can from those folks, but yeah, that's the idea. We're 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 out here really doing it. That's awesome. So, how did you get started homesteading? Well, it's, it's been something that we wanted to do for, I mean, pretty much always, and uh, we were. So my wife grew up in Southeast Alaska. She's Alaska native. And we got married up here and moved back to where I'm from, which is Michigan, um, well, maybe, maybe four or five years ago. And uh, we'd always planned to come back up here, buy a piece of land, and do a little farming. But we kind of had like a 10-year plan. And this past winter, so not this past winter, two winters ago, uh, we had a house fire and kind of forced our hand to make a decision about what to do. And we didn't have the insurance money to put the house all back together, but we did have enough to pay off the mortgage and buy a piece of land up here and move. So that's what we did. And wow. when, when we got to it, yeah, we got to a raw land with just a tent and a pile of lumber. That's crazy. Um, so that was, that happened two winters ago? Yeah, yep, Christmas Day. Whoa, what happened? Uh, we did what we normally did at, which is in the evenings, which is pack the wood stove and damper it down so we could get a nice low, slow burn throughout the day so we uh, the house wouldn't be cold when we got home. And uh, Somehow fire started. Jeez. Did it, I'm assuming everyone made it out okay and... Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? So everything, everything we look at in life, we we see what the blessing is in it. Sure. And in that instance, we would have done that that evening, and we may, you know, not have got out, or some of us, even worse, some of us might have got out, and the others wouldn't. So. Sure. Yep. You know, it, it worked out as a blessing for us. That's crazy. Um, so, did you guys have? Um prior experience like homesteading like 
did like do your parents have a garden? Did they have any animals? Did her parents um, have a gardener animals or just kind of did you guys hunt, fish, forage? Yeah, so Shayla grew up um, with uh, doing some uh, quite a bit of subsistence eating. I, I guess you could say, I mean, she grew up doing a lot of berry picking and um, going to the beach. You get crabs, octopus, cockles, sea cucumber, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then eating a lot of subsistence salmon and halibut. Um, the way I grew up, I grew up kind of in around farm country. I grew up in the suburbs mostly, inner city until I was about seven, and then we moved to the suburbs. Um, and... A lot of my friends were farmers. It was something I always wanted to do, um, but I never really had much opportunity to hunt or work on a farm. So the only exposure I ever had to that was going and visiting friends for the most part. But you know, we tried to do what we could. When, once we got married, we we were farming our land a little bit. We, we had goats, sheep. Um, we we're working on testing out different crops, things like that, and kind of dipping our toes in. That's great. So, what are you what are you doing now? So, right now we've got chickens, which we are probably going to get rid of. They don't do as well here. Mm. Um, it it rains about ninety nine days out of the year, <laughs> and uh, you get or no no it rains over two hundred days of the year. You get about ninety nine days of sunshine. <laughs> um, and so we're going to probably change gears and go to ducks. Most people in our area have, they have chickens and ducks, but the ducks, are, they'll lay pretty prolifically throughout the winter. Uh, and this is just kind of their, their weather here. Yeah. And, uh, and then we've got some goats. We've got rabbits, uh, livestock guardian dogs, which help protect us and everything from the bears, which, I mean, there's, they're everywhere here. The sun was chasing a chicken the other day, pulled back some brush and was pretty much nose to nose with one. Whoa. Um, yeah, yeah, they're all over the place. Yikes. So, yeah, um, and so that's kind of what we got going on. We just ordered a bunch of seed. We started our potatoes, and um, we just bought seven acres up the road from us. It's all muskeg, so it'll be interesting, but it gets full sun, so that's a big advantage. Good. When there is sun, you get full sun. Good. Yeah, we're just kind of get, getting started here, too, and there's a lot of a lot of testing to do, but we'll get it figured out. What do you, uh, so you guys said you moved up there with a tent. What do you, what do you guys have for shelter now? So, we, we brought enough lumber to build a 16 by 16 cabin. Okay. Uh, so that's what we, what we did, and it's just on little, still on just little four foot, or uh, four by four posts, basically just sitting on top of the ground, which is not a long-term solution, obviously, but um, we've got beams now that are going to go under it and put some concrete pilings under. But, yeah, we, we started out with a 16 by 16, and then I added a 14 by 10 kitchen off one side, and I'm working on a 14 by 10 bedroom off the other, and you know, we just kind of build out as we can. The kids are up in lofts, and sure. that is in the the main room here it's cozy <laughs> it sounds cozy yeah yeah the one the one bedroom house right for for a pile of people yep, exactly 
Easy to heat in the winter, which is nice. There you go. Just be careful with that wood stove. Right. Yeah, we we uh we made sure we checked all our boxes with it. There you go. Um, so what? What motivates you to grow your own food? I know it's obviously being in remote Alaska, it's um, kind of hard to go to the grocery store every day, but I'm assuming that there's more to it than that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so we, you know, we really like to, to live as traditionally as we can, which involves doing a lot of harvesting of wild foods. Uh, but you can't always rely on that, especially with uh, commercial fisheries tend to overfish and that's you know that's something that a lot of people don't like to talk about and i'm not against commercial fishing at all sure but you've got issues with that you've got issues with nuclear meltdowns in japan affects fish <laughs> and if, uh, yep. microplastics all that stuff can affect fish um you know people building dams and things like that all change migration patterns change spawning and uh so it's hard to rely on that like we could even 60 years ago um, so growing our own food is important because it kind of, it fills in the gaps when nature might not be doing what, what it normally does for us. Um, and I mean, you can look at, you know, the big one right now is just look at current events. I mean, you can see what's on the, uh, what's on the schedule for this summer and next fall is probably global food shortages. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we want to make sure that we're on top of that, at least buying seed, because that's pro- it's likely the last a couple of years we've already seen with supply chain issues that once that starts, it's really hard to get it back up and running again. So yeah, it's yeah, it's, you can't just turn it back on like a switch. It's exactly yeah. yeah, and especially being out here when you know we don't necessarily need money, but money's nice to have. Um, it's it's hard to find work out here without leaving the island, so it's it's good to be able to to grow your own food so that's one less thing you need money for do you have a day job i do not nope uh, i haven't worked for anyone in about 10 months i've i've done a fair amount of scrapping um at various dumps that's one thing you'll find in alaska is you've got dumps the old style where you know you just go and dump stuff there hmm. so i've i was able to basically fund our trip and, and all the lumber by scrapping um, at the previous island we were at. I mean, I'm doing the same thing here to scrape together extra money where I can. That's pretty nice. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and, and once the dump's cleared out, though, you got to figure something else out. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. You, you seem like a pretty switched-on guy. I bet you'll I bet you'll figure out something something else to make, make some oh, yeah. quick, quick money. So, um. So what kind of like practices, techniques, or methods uh, do you have going on at your at your place? Um, like, do you have to do raised beds for anything specific, or can you plant right into the ground? Do you do like hugo culture, or have uh, your soon to be gone chickens, you know, till the till the area a little bit, scratch it up to work it, or anything? that's got to go on I mean like I said with the seven acres we just bought which is all muskeg which for uh, listeners who don't want to get on Google and find out the answer in five seconds muskeg is basically um, 
what used to be a big lake, and it gets filled in over time by mosses, uh, predominantly sphagnum moss. And so you've got this peat, and then moss on top of that, and that peat can go anywhere from, you know, three meters to, to 30 meters deep. Whoa. Um, and, and, it, and it's usually interspersed with little puddles and ponds that, uh, you know, could also be, I mean, they look like they have a bottom maybe six inches down, but if you step in it, you're just going down. Do people die it's, it's kind of by old. stepping into that, that peat? You know, I've, I haven't heard of it, but it definitely, uh, it could happen. I mean, every time I look at them, it, it, it reminds me of uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles. Um, you know, it talks about all, up on the moors and hearing the, the ponies. Sometimes in the night you hear a pony screaming because it fell into into a bog and couldn't get out so they're kind of like that so dang yeah so it's it's a whole different thing and you know with the amount of rainfall we get everything's highly acidic so Hmm. you grow a lot of there's a lot of blueberries and cranberries that grow on that land um but you know things that that might like acid a little more like potatoes don't necessarily like being wet so you know we have a lot of stuff to try we're going to try keeping up peat and uh, trying to grow potatoes directly on that. We're going to try um, sweetening it a little bit with lime and potash. There's just all kinds of, basically we need to do, you know, a dozen test plots for every kind of plant we want to grow hmm. and try different things and, and see what works and what doesn't. Wow. That's, that's kind of crazy. That's, um, you're saying a dozen, like kind of, Okay, we'll try the potatoes in a dozen different places and see where it does best. And then, you know, take your uh, blueberries, I think you said, and like test that in, you know, a dozen different spots and see where it goes best. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yep, more, yep, more or less. So. Wow. Yeah, yep, a lot of, bit, a lot of work. So that's why we're not going to be producing a lot of food this year. This year's how, when we find out how we can produce a lot of food. Hmm. That's kind of crazy. Um, so, like, it, I'm assuming it'd be really difficult to to bring in any any fill, like some decent soil, if you were to even attempt to do raised beds, because it's just so it's ridiculous to get it out there. But also, like, maybe you could treat the soil like in spots so like you know okay so let's let's lower the acidity in this four by eight square foot area or something like that i don't know yeah yeah i mean it's and that's that's one of the things when you get up here it it just kind of blows your mind and it's confusing because there (laughs) isn't soil I mean, there okay. is. There's some glacial till. Like the, the, our home site, we've got quite a bit of glacial till. There's a lot of nice. Uh, there's a mix of clay. You're running big pockets of clay. There's silty soil. There's gravel. Um, but so you've got the muskegs up there, and then down here you've got some of that. But that's where you have the forests. They grow on that. So you know you have to clear cut stuff if you want to grow anything and pull stumps and. So the idea with the muskeg, you can actually, you can fill, 
but you're not going to do much excavating. So what, mm. what you do is you would put down corduroy, which here essentially you would just use slab wood from a sawmill or log, and you make a, a corduroy road with that, and then you cover it with sand and gravel. So you can fill in, and that's kind of our long-term goal is maybe doing you know an eighth of an acre a year like that where we do corduroy. We have a, a local guy who has a gravel pit come and cover that, and then we start building soil on that with manure, kelp, mm. things like that. Wow. So you you need to just build a, a base of something before you can even just start building soil. That's that's incredible. Like you're you're like in the yeah. negative to start with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I thought I had it bad. I'm I'm in the Rockies and like I, I've got like a little bit of topsoil and you know, anything below three inches in most places, like it's um you just hit rocks every every foot, you know, or not even, you know, every three inches. Just trying to wow. trying to put a post in the ground is insane. But but I'm not gonna complain anymore if I can at least, you know, plant something, I guess. Uh, so so it sounds like the high acidity or um plants that that don't mind acid um are doing doing pretty good right now. Uh, you're going to switch from chickens to ducks and goats are doing pretty well. What, what else is doing well for you out there? Um, man, I mean, just mainly our, our wild food that, that we usually harvest are, I mean, when we moved here, there was even more here than, than where my wife grew up. She was ecstatic, but we've got huckleberries, blueberries, this is all grows wild, huckleberries, blueberries, salmonberries, elderberries. Um, you got soap berries, wild cranberries. There, I mean, there's like ten different varieties of wild blueberries. That's that's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yep. We harvest fiddleheads. Um, and we make tea with Hudson Bay tea and cedar. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of wild food available. And the downside is, is in our area here, it's it's full of sea otters. Um. Well, we moved into an area that doesn't have a lot of Alaska natives living in it anymore. Hmm. It's, it's a traditional area. I had a lot of fish camps and villages here, but uh, it's, it's mainly non-natives who live here now, which means that they can't do anything about sea otter populations. Oh, they're protected? Uh, so yeah, yep. Only Alaska natives are allowed to harvest marine mammals, and uh, specifically sea otter and seals. Um, so that's something that my wife is going to be doing hopefully starting this fall is starting to harvest some of those sea otters so that way the crab and um, other shellfish in the bay have a chance to start recovering because there's no I mean there's no food you can go to the minus tide out there and there's nothing versus the island where she grew up and it's just full of food that you can walk out at the minus tide and harvest because they they help to maintain the, the otter populations there does that um so she can do it because she's native. What about your kids? Do they count? Oh, yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. They're all Alaska native. They're all got their CIB and everything. Do they, when you say Alaska native, do you mean born there or actually natives like? Uh, like? Yeah, thanks for asking about that. That's a, that's a big one because I know a lot of people say I'm, you know, for instance, a Montana native. Sure. Um, and to people that just means that they grew up there. 
An Alaska Native is actually a, a category of Native American. Okay. So if you if you go to Canada, there's three indigenous groups, right? You have mm-hmm. the Métis, the Inuit, and the First Nations. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., we have American Indian and Alaska Native, and so they're very. There's a, even in Alaska, you've got a really diverse um, group of people. I mean, if you go up north, you have the the Inuit, the Yupik, the um, Denina, and then and they all have their own unique cultures. And then you come down to southeast Alaska, and you have Simshan, Tlingit, Haida. Um, used to be Chilkat. I don't know if they're around anymore. I should know, and I feel ashamed that I don't. But um, yeah, so it's but all those people are allowed to harvest marine mammals, and uh, because it's a traditional food source and clothing source for them. Right. Okay. Yeah, I um, I just wanted to make sure I was I was clear on who was allowed to hunt those uh, those species. So everyone gets to have fun, but you, you're you're out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can shoot plenty of bears and deer. There you go. I guess that makes up for it. We'll call it even. Yeah. But yeah. it's always so much better when you can uh, when you get to participate too. Like, man, now that I can't do it, I want to do it. I want to do it more than I. Than I did before. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I can drive with it, uh, and that's the thing. I mean, I can't, I can't do anything with it. I can't, I can't harvest the animal. I can't handle the fur. Wow. Um, you know, I can't do anything, anything. I can't handle the meat. Nothing. Um, that's but, pretty strict. You know what? It, yeah, and but it's really important that that our our kids are able to engage with their culture this way. I mean. Their language is already dying and almost extinct, even though there's a lot of efforts to, to bring it back because, uh, you know, a lot of government policies made it uh, against the rules, basically, and, and in some cases illegal for natives to speak their language. What? And, uh, and children were sent, yeah, children were sent to residential schools where they were uh, beaten severely if they spoke their language, and uh, so a lot of almost all of the Native American languages in, in the United States and Canada have died out completely. That uh, the is last residential up. school actually in, in, in the U.S. closed in the 90s, and that was up near Traverse City in Michigan. So this is still pretty recent history. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> okay. Um. I forgot where we were, but I liked that. I liked that was a lot of that was a lot of good information. I've never been to Alaska. It's on my bucket list, and so hopefully, when we actually hit the road, I'm gonna we're, we're all gonna go to Alaska just for awesome. an undetermined amount of time. There you go. Yeah, there's a lot of farmers up there, uh, especially if you get up north and onto the road system. There, there'd probably be a lot of people you could. Get in touch with. It's a little well, bit harder to get to us. I'm coming to see you first. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but <laughs> that'd be great. Yes, like I said, it's, it's hard to get to us. You have to. You got to land in town, and then you have to. I mean, you can catch a mail plane over, but just one that's, at a time. Uh, weather dependent. Yeah, sure. Um, but anyways, uh, so so what? hasn't worked out for you uh in alaska there um you know what what has failed what's been your failures we like to share failures here 
Well, I think the, the biggest ones are just me having, even though I had familiarity with, uh, with the land because we lived in Southeast Alaska before, I think, I don't know, I, I just, I still had the expectation that I was going to show up and just build a house like <laughs> I would anywhere else. Sure. You know, I had plans for I brought a, um, I brought bags of cement. I was planning to dig post holes and, you know, post in cement. And then uh, I, I tried to put a spade in the ground and I couldn't get anywhere with it. Oh, no. It would just bounce back up at me because of the root mass and all the moss and everything. So, yeah. And, and then on the first day here, too, we... You know, we had three and a half acres where the home site is, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I walked up the hill to find a good spot, found a decent spot, and then I spent an entire day using loppers just to, to hack a trail up wide enough to bring lumber up to that spot. <laughs> and so for about three or four weeks after that, I had um, I had such a bad injury in the, either the muscles or the tendons in my forearm that I could barely even build. I was building with one hand and... And an 11-year-old boy, basically. Dang. Yeah. But, I mean, we got it done. I don't know. I think, I don't know. We had we had some tragedy when we got here. You know, we, one of the dogs we brought um, had whipworm, and um, my son, whose job it was to to take care of the dogs while I was getting our everything built and set up, he, he didn't notice that uh, the dog's body condition was going down pretty quick. And mm. then one day he told me that uh, that the dog wasn't eating his food, and I thought that was unusual. And and he said, yeah, he's, he's not eating, and he looks, he looks a little skinny. And I was like, what? So I went down and looked at him, and uh, he was skeletal. And... and it just happened over a period of maybe three weeks. He lost probably fifty percent of his body weight, uh, but at that point it was it was too late, and he was already an organ failure. So I had to put him down. Oh no! Um, we were, yeah, we were able to save the other dogs, uh, but unfortunately here I couldn't even I couldn't call a local vet, even the one that I'd used before when we were here, because you know in their words we don't have a relationship with your dogs. And so I was like, so you can't even prescribe me a uh, broad spectrum dewormer. So I had to call back to our vet in Michigan, and and they mailed um, mailed up some Panicure, and we were able to save the rest of the dogs with that. That was kind of that was a big failure, I guess. Was missing that. That was a bummer. That is a big bummer. That sucks. Um. Um. So what's the you, you talked about things that, that have worked against you, like, you know, not being able to even throw a shovel in the ground, um, the high acidity uh, in, the, in your soil, what little you have, um, and the peat. Mm-hmm. What's been the biggest challenge you've faced so far? Well, just, just getting a homestead set up. I mean, like everything is just, muddy, mucky, spongy, getting whipped in the face with all kinds of stuff, tripping over roots constantly. I mean, it's not like anywhere that you would see in the lower 48. Hmm. It's nothing like it. I mean, you can't even comprehend it until you're here. 
and then you think, yeah, I could probably make this work, and then you start building stuff, and it's, I mean, it's a nightmare. You'll be, when you try to dig footings, I mean, you'll be sinking in, in mud up to your waist, and it's just, yeah, that's the biggest, the hugest challenge is really just getting anything built here, and a lot of people who come here, when they first get here, they, they kind of do it the easy way and just put log pilings in the ground or on the ground, and, mm -hmm. you know, this is where we want to stay forever. I mean, eventually those, those buildings collapse in 15 to 20 years. And so, wow. yeah, we've been putting concrete footings in and basically if we can't afford to build it right now, to build it the right way, the way that it'll last, you know, at least long enough for our kids to use it, then we don't do it. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's, um, you must like a challenge. I'm, I'm getting that you just like incredible challenges that um, just e just life every day just needs to be harder. Yeah, you know, it, it sounds like that, but you are wrong. <laughs> I would much, much prefer for everything to be a lot easier, but that's kind of the trade-off, right? Like, right. If we're out here where it's really hard, Nobody's going to bother us out here. Yeah. It's too, it's too hard. There's been a lot of people who've come to this island, bought land here, came here, tried for a summer, and left. Never to return. Wow. So, you know, yeah, I mean, nobody's coming here by accident. And, and I don't know, it tends to attract, you know, the kind of people who are tough enough to tough it out, and that's it. Sure. I get it. So it's a good, good place to be. To uh, paint a picture for for people listening um my wife and i were looking at your wife's instagram last night and she's like look at how they do laundry you guys have <laughs> you guys have totes just just regular plastic totes with water soap and clothes in them and it looked like your kids were like pushing the clothes in the in the bucket with soapy water um with like almost like churning butter kind of like to um, just like push it down and then it takes like three days to dry your clothes is what what she saw and, and I was like oh uh -huh. we could do that we we leave our clothes in the dryer for three days so I mean it's kind of the same thing <laughs> right yeah yeah it's, it's something we were uh, we've gone back and forth about how to improve that aspect of our lives because you know, a washer and dryer, first of all, a washer requires haul, they're hauling a lot of water or having, mm -hmm. um, you know, rain rain barrels that, that you can run down to it. And a dryer uses an incredible amount of energy. Absolutely. And so we'd have to get a, a larger generator. We only have a 2,000 watt inverter generator right okay. now, which I have to have my son stand anytime I want to cut anything with a a skill saw my son has to stand by and constantly reset the breaker on it. Oh no. It shuts off just from a saw. So, yeah, but I mean, pretty much, I mean, what we're doing out here, it, it's really weird because we're about as pioneering as you're going to get, but we still have so many modern conveniences that, that make our lives a lot easier. You really have to admire the, the real pioneers that, that came here before. Oh, absolutely. We are... We're such wimps. I, I was talking to somebody recently, and I was like... 
I can't imagine like just um, going out and hunting. Um, even let's say, I don't know, 50, 75 years ago, like you, you had to go, I guess a little bit further back, hundred plus years ago. Like if you didn't go out and hunt, you know, frequently your family was going to starve. I mean, just the bare basics, like you better get out there and come back with something. Otherwise you're going to be hungry and your family's going to go hungry. Yeah, yeah, well, and that's, I mean, that's bush life out here, too. A lot of people, you know, they might have some kind of income, but, I mean, Alaska's pretty unique in that they have subsistence hunting and fishing licenses for residents, and hmm. I, don't, I don't know if there's any other states like that, but, you know, for instance, a few years back, my subsistence hunting license allowed me to take, and this was on in one subsistence area, allowed me to take five deer and six bear on that one license. Wow. Uh, you can get a subsistence halibut card, which, yeah, gets you tons of fish. And most people, that's that's really how they still live. That's crazy. That's a lot. That's a lot, a lot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, you think about it, too. I mean, for a family our size, the deer here, black-tailed deer, are pretty small. And I mean, we can, we eat through one deer in three days. I mean, all of it, the whole thing. Wow. So yeah, you need to, you got to have a lot of, uh, a lot of meat and a lot of people hunting. I guess so. Um, so on the, on the flip side, what's the best part of homesteading? Yeah, it's, uh, I guess the freedom, I mean... We came out here for, for the freedom. That, well, yeah, I mean, that was the bottom line was, what's the freest place in America, if not the world? Sure. And it's yep. remote Alaska. I mean, I don't have, I don't have taxes. I don't have, um, have local, there's no state tax, first of all, no mm-hmm. state income tax, but I don't have any property tax. I don't have any building codes. I don't have to get permitting to do anything. This is... You know, you're out here, and you just have to survive any way you can. So they, if they were put stipulations on that, nobody would come to Alaska. So, yeah, I mean, I can do pretty much whatever I want. I mean, I've got, I don't have to have insurance on my vehicle. I don't even have to have a valid driver's license out here. <laughs> and so That's pretty great. Ultimate freedom, right? Right. Um, how did you guys pick? to be on like the south uh southeast part of alaska um you know on an island versus i i hear a lot of like people in the interior alaska what was uh-huh. it was it because of your wife's history that it's kind of what she yeah, knew yeah that was that, that was all 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 was yeah i mean we looked at we considered going up north but yeah i mean this is this is her home it's been her it's been her people's home for 4,000 years. You know, it's, you can take the, you know, you take the Simshian out of Southeast Alaska, but you can't take Southeast out of the Simshian kind of thing. Sure. This is home paper. So that's why we ended up here. And, and I was kind of, she didn't want to go and do all this stuff really. And she likes to have a washing machine and, and light bulbs. <laughs> and light bulbs. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, 
I didn't really want to be in Southeast Alaska, so we kind of, that was the compromise that we, we go to Southeast, and I get to live in the freest, most remote place I can find where nobody will ever bother us. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. I mean... Yeah. I mean, you got me there. What's the what's the terrain on your property like? I mean, is it like almost a hundred percent wooded, or like mean, you got like that? Um, I forgot what it was called. The um, peat muskeg. Muskeg, yeah. Um, so do you got you got a lot of trees? Go ahead. Yeah, we've got a mix. I mean, it's we have a change in elevation of probably maybe. 30 or 40 feet from, from one end to the other. Um, it's, like I said, there's a lot of glacial till. There's huge seams of just hard clay, seams of gravel and silt. Um, and then the low areas collect all that peat. Um, we've got tons of blueberries and huckleberries everywhere. Uh, the, the trees that are here are, we have mountain hemlock, western hemlock, uh, red cedar, yellow cedar, and uh, spruce. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. It's just kind of everything's mossy. And it, it, have you ever seen, um, you ever seen Florida with the Spanish moss hanging from the trees? Uh, yeah, I think I've seen pictures of that, yeah. And then on Star Wars, that one forest where they're riding the speeders through? Yes. Yeah, so if you, like, take that forest and combine it with, like, the kind of the swampy Florida moss hanging from trees look, that's, like, kind of, like, what it is. Hmm. That's kind of wild, man. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, with lots of bears walking through it. With lots of bears. Yeah. <laughs> What's your, um, you, I'll, I'll ask you at the end uh, a good bear story or two, um. That I'm sure you've got a bunch, but so what's, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, we're looking at a food crisis here. Um, yeah. you know, there's, it's going to it's going to get ugly here and, you know, later this year, I, I can't imagine it not, but so what would you say about food security? So like, Yeah, I mean, I'd say many people are aware of it. It's kind of, I think, just like with uh, with the currency issue and everything. Those, for the majority of people, this stuff is kind of in their peripherals because it hasn't really hurt yet, and they don't want to think about what could be happening. Um, but you know, I'd say as far as food security goes, what's it going to hurt you to grow a little something in your home? Yeah. So if you can, you know, if, if you uh, if you have the space, grow some grow some foods that that are easy. Uh, the big ones, the biggest one I, I recommend to anybody is grow potatoes. And potatoes literally can save your life. If you have a mm. good way to store them, you can store them in your refrigerator or whatever. Do some research on storing potatoes. Uh, don't listen to all of the the big university extensions that say you can't store them in a root cellar at home without spraying them with special stuff. Your ancestors did it just fine. Sure, yeah. Uh, grow potatoes. And 
one potato, one large potato has both the same vitamin C as an orange does. Huh. That's another. Uh, that's another one of those things where they try to tell you that you have to have all these tropical fruits. Eat a banana. Well, why don't you just eat some spinach? You know, there's whatever foods grow in the place you live. There, all those foods have the things that your body needs to, to thrive. If you can get away from um, processed foods and actually eat the foods that grow well in your area, you'll be fine. And you go up north, and you know I'm talking way up north in Alaska in the Arctic Circle, mm-hmm. and the natives who live up there have been subsisting on seafood, you know, whales and berries. To you know, that's the brunt of their diet. They don't get vegetables. I mean, uh, with, with the exception of you know some some of the vegetables that do grow on the, the tundra for a short period of time in the summer, tubers and things like that. But uh, for the most part, it's meat, 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 meat. And so, but all those meats have all the vitamins and, and minerals and things, protein that they need. So, yeah, I'd just say grow some potatoes. Make sure that you've got some kind of food security. And another thing that I've noticed a lot of people have been doing is buying chest freezers and filling their freezer. Mm-hmm. But... What other crisis do we have going on right now? We have energy crisis mm-hmm. and fuel crisis. If the lights go out and you have a generator, you know you're, you can keep your freezer fine by just running your generator for a day or for an hour or two a day. But if you can't get fuel, and this is stuff people just can't imagine a scenario where this happens, but it's it's I mean it's right around the corner. It's right there. It doesn't take much to get there. So I'd say stop. Stocking freezers, canned goods. You know, it might taste like shit, but it'll keep you alive. Whereas if you if you've just filled six chest freezers full of food and they all thaw, you're done, and you've wasted all the money that that you could have spent on food that would actually last. That's the, those are I guess my two big recommendations: stock up on true non-perishables that are that are shelf stable, and and grow some potatoes. The easiest food you can grow. That is a good idea. I will, I'll share a quick uh, freezer story. I, for whatever reason, I unplugged the the freezer or like um, it tripped. I don't remember what happened, but we had gone, it was like three days. This freezer didn't have power and I noticed that it was like wet under the freezer. I'm like, oh no. Oh no, there's like a couple hundred dollars easy, you know, 500 bucks, let's say, like of meat in there. And my, I like, I honestly felt sick, like I was gonna puke. Not because like it stunk, but because like that's such a waste. (laughs) So it was still chilled, it wasn't frozen. And so I'm like, some of the stuff I just like had to throw in the in the burn barrel but the rest of it i cooked a lot of meat that day i think from like 10 a.m to like i don't know 7 p.m i was just out at the grill just cooking meat and then just put it all in the refrigerator just so it didn't get thrown away i had pretty good that week like all in all but um man that was that was an expensive (laughs) that was an expensive week Yeah, yeah, it can be uh, it can be a bummer, and that's the thing. Most people that have a chest freezer have have had a failure before. Mm-hmm. But we we we've grown so accustomed 
to what is truly, I think, the most unnatural lifestyle that people have enjoyed en masse in, in the history of humankind. We become so accustomed to that lifestyle that, that we can't even imagine what it's like to live just where our great-grandparents did. Right. Yeah, we're, we're losing that knowledge. Like, hey, how did we used to do this? Um, right. Yeah, that's, and that's something, that's a big one, too. I mean, we buy a lot of books. Uh, you know, if the Internet's out and you want to know how to do something, you can't Google it. So stocking up on books that, that give you some basic knowledge about that stuff. Sure. Could be a lifesaver. Yeah. Um, so in relation to, you know, food crisis, energy crisis, fuel crisis... Um, I have a note here on currency crisis. What do you, uh, you want to expand on that a little bit? What do you, what do you mean by cur? I think I, I mean, obviously it sucks. Everything's expensive when it, when it, when it, when it shouldn't be, but what do you, what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, you can go, you can go long back on, on the second here. Mm -hmm. I think my kids are. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you can go uh, back, I guess, as far as, far as you want to, to talking about the debasement of currencies. But um, I guess suffice to say, if, you know, if your listeners aren't tracking already, which I suspect most of them are, mm -hmm. um, you know, our, our, our currency, the U.S. dollar, has basically been worthless um, since, well, right around 19... Uh, 13 when I think that's when the Fed was created mm -hmm. but um, you know it was debased in was it 43 is that when uh, FDR confiscated everybody's gold and then immediately revalued it 50% higher uh, that sounds kind of like familiar that. yeah yeah so when he did that he tied all the world's currencies to um, the U.S. dollar by making the U.S. dollar exchangeable for gold. And, uh, you know, every country did that because gold was money. And uh, I think it was J.P. Morgan famously said that uh, gold is money, everything else is credit. And that's always been the case, and the world has always known that. Your central bankers know that, which is why they stockpile it. But they don't get rich by hoarding gold. They get rich by printing money and convincing you that it has value and convincing you to spend it. So anyway, where we're at now, since Nixon closed the gold window in uh, 71, I think it was, basically our currency has been in free fall. And over the past 100 years, it's lost 90% of its value. And it's, it's happening faster each day. I mean, you can see inflation's over 7% year over year, and it's not slowing down. That's what so they say. Yeah. I'm not I'm not buying it's only seven percent. That's stupid. That's there's no, no way. No, and you should. I think uh was it shadowstats.com? He does pretty good analysis. Uh was it John Williams, I think. He does pretty good analysis and I'm not sure what he's looking at now, maybe over twelve percent, maybe more, but yeah, it's definitely it it's up there and uh you know, everybody's saying that stuff is already priced in. I think uh you know, it might be priced in, but the bottom line is that all those inflated dollars that we've been exporting to every other country, you know, for decades, at some point, sooner rather than later, are going to come home to roost. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Vladimir Putin saying that he's only going to accept rubles for their country's energy. Hmm. Uh, he's been working with China since December on making uh, their countries free from the SWIFT system and uh, basically backing their currencies, whether digital or you know uh, whatever, backing them with their gold reserves. And uh, he's got a lot of other countries that are getting on board with them. So the U.S. dollar, in my mind, is probably about to tank. And it's going to be really painful, and we're headed for a really painful period of time. It's probably going to be, it's going to rival the Great Depression. Sure. And like I said, most people just, they, they can't get their hearts to believe it, I think. And, and so a lot of people are going to be hurting. But I just... Keep uh, keep spreading the the good news that that the dollar is about to crash. So stock up. So what are you what are you doing, and what would you suggest people do to um, prepare for this like this crash yeah, I mean, or I the can... dollar getting like killed off entirely? And um, does that have anything to do with this? Uh, oh, I forget the acronym. Central Bank Digital Currency. Yeah, that one. Yeah. That. Yep, the CBDC. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a whole whole interesting thing, too. I don't know if we want to get too far down that rabbit trail, but, um, yeah, I mean, personally, what I'm doing, I, obviously, I'm not giving any financial advice, but what I'm doing at a personal level is we, we for years now, we don't save money uh, inside of a bank. Hmm. We save in gold and silver, and um, there's a lot of ways that you can do that. You can have physical silver in your possession. You know, you want to make sure, and physical gold in your possession, you want to make sure that that's in a, a safe place. To me, a safe place is not a safe. To me, a safe place is somewhere well hidden that anyone breaking in is not going to even think to look. Right. And put it in a bag in your toilet. I wouldn't do that, but, you know, there's, there's options, right, to, yep. to keep that stuff safe. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's the big one. That's what we do to basically preserve our uh, buying power um, and preserve the, the money that we've earned. Um, you know, if you have inflation at a rate of 7% and your bank is only paying you, you know, 0.3% interest on your savings, then you're losing your savings at like what six point seven a rate of six point seven percent every year. So yes. it just does not make sense to be leaving stuff in the bank. And then you I mean you have examples of you, know, you have uh, austerity in Greece where they'll just take your money. Or you have in Canada recently when they, they froze people's bank accounts for mm-hmm. political dissident, guess what? You don't have access to, to the money you've earned. And so we, we keep Excess money out of the bank. If you ended up, if you end up needing money, it's a simple process of mailing the, that physical gold and silver off to a, um, a bullion dealer, or just go see a bullion dealer, and you can exchange it for, you know, just below spot price or at spot price, or depending on demand over spot price. Um, and then you have it, you have your U.S. dollars again. So we do that. Um, as far as silver goes, you know, we try to have. We try to keep silver mainly as a medium of exchange, so we buy uh, one ounce denominated, or uh, you know, like one ounce coins. Smaller than that, some of the old 
U.S. junk silver, as they call it, 90% silver quarters, dimes, uh, half dollars. Um, but at some point, even that is not going to be valuable, right? So then we, we get other stuff that has traditional use as money, like ammunition, tobacco, uh, stock up on the cheapest vodka you can find. People have vices, right? So when it really gets down oh, to yeah. it, those things, are, those things are all money. Absolutely. So that's kind of what we do. We, we, we try to stop up, stock up on stuff that we, we know we're always going to be able to use as a medium of exchange. Yeah. My dad's cleaning out his basement right now, and he sent me some pictures. He's like, hey, I got some 12-gauge uh, ammo and some uh, 223. Do you want it? I'm like, hell yes, I want it. Like, if, you, if you're just... Absolutely. Why would you not? And, like, I don't think he remembers that uh, I actually traded another another thing of value uh i traded a shotgun for something and i traded my ar for something and so i don't even have a use for those bullets um but i'm gonna take them because someday i'm either gonna get a 12 gauge again and an ar again or Uh use them to trade so absolutely yep yep i've done a lot of trading in the past 10 months that's pretty sweet so I'm curious. So you're a you're a gold bug, and I've I've had a few different people on here already uh, talk to me about um, Bitcoin, which I own some. So like, what about what do you think about it? You seem to be pretty heavy into precious metals. Yeah. So Bitcoin. <laughs> That's a uh, it's an interesting one, man, and I I really. I'm not an expert on it. I don't even Me fully either. understand how it works. That's okay. Um, and, and seriously, I've had, I've had FOMO for the past two years been thinking about buying it, but I cannot get this little bug out of my mind that Bitcoin is a tool of the CIA or central banks or somebody like that to confiscate all of this excess liquidity in the markets hmm. and then obliterate everyone's wealth. And in the meantime, they've gotten everybody who is already anti-establishment to put all of their capital into this thing, and then, boom, it's gone. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I, I just I don't trust it. It doesn't seem to be what people say it is. And, I mean, just the fact that you've got people out there, I mean, for lack of a better word, I hate using... Uh, you know, cliches, but that are shilling it. I mean, you have people who are billionaires from it. And I mean, they're constantly just, when it, whether it's up or down, they're talking about how great it is. And there's always an angle about why it's great. And it looks a lot like a Ponzi scheme to me. And like I said, I, I've got FOMO, man, because I'd love to get rich too. Mm-hmm. But when I see what, what the currency is doing, and, and I, I'm absolutely convinced that the U.S. dollar is going to zero. It will no longer ever again hold place as world's reserve currency. And, um, I mean, if that's what your Bitcoin's denominated in, then you've lost it anyway, right? I mean, sure, you can exchange it for other currencies, you can, uh, you know, in theory. But at the end of the day, too, all of, for the most part, people don't have it in a place where it can't be confiscated. It can be confiscated. We've watched 
the U.S. government pay ransoms to hackers in Bitcoin and then get it right back. So to me, like, who has the keys to be able to do that? Probably the creators of it. So that's where I'm at with it. Now, some other, I'm, I'm not totally out of the crypto camp. Uh, you know, I want to make that clear. I, I don't own any cryptocurrency whatsoever because, I, you know, I don't expect to always have access to, um, to you know, a way to exchange it. Hmm, but sure. I do, I do have, uh, I have a Monero wallet, and if somebody ever offered to pay me in Monero, I'd probably let them do it just to give it a shot. You know, what could it hurt? Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, I'll never, I'll never buy it. One, because no matter how I buy it, unless I send cash in an envelope to some guy and he puts it in my my wallet, it's 100% traceable. All of it is. So it's not it's not this really decentralized, none of it's a decentralized thing that it's, that it's made out to be. I mean, I just read an article recently, too, that was really interesting. Um, I can't remember who published it, but it was talking about... Uh, Russia going to gold and really saying that that was talking about the threat that that was and saying that it could be used for terrorism and laundering money and stuff like that. All the stuff that they say about Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. But for some reason, you have all of these uh, institutional investors buying into Bitcoin. You have a lot of governments buying into Bitcoin. But when a government says we're going to start using gold, the entire fiat world is up in arms over it. So that's the real decentralized finance to me that's the real stuff that's untraceable hmm so I was um, I had heard that the El Salvadorian president I don't remember his name he you know get like buying more Bitcoin and he's getting like this huge uh, backlash against like the IMF saying like oh you better not yeah. do that or we're not gonna um support you anymore or whatever and he goes cool i don't want your junk money anyway so um right i don't know well, I, that's, that's the biggest yeah that's the biggest lure i think of of those kinds of things is that uh yeah i mean it's outside of these people's control right mm-hmm. but at the end of the day they're always going to find they're going to try to find a way to control it and uh and that's kind of where where i'm at with it is if I'm holding Bitcoin and they do find a way to control it, guess what? I'm not holding Bitcoin anymore because I'm not holding anything, really. I mean, it's just numbers in space somewhere. Sure. Yeah. So. So, yeah, that's... I'm not a Bitcoiner, but I'm not a, I'm, I'm, I don't, I, the jury's out on it for me. I'm going to be, if any, if Bitcoin ends up winning for everybody, I'll be right there cheering them on and celebrating it. Sure. But it's just enough. not something that I can bring myself to do. That's fine. I mean, you you got your your gold thing. I mean, I've got I've got a little bit of precious metal, a little bit of little bit of crypto. So I like to I like to dabble in everything. See see what yeah, see I what mean, takes. There's a lot of wisdom to that. A lot of wisdom to that. So, well, wrapping up here, what would you tell people that want to get started? Um, homesteading, moving to Alaska, maybe tell them they don't move to Alaska. Um, uh, yeah, what would you what would you like to tell people? Well, I just I would say think it over long and hard, and uh, if you come to the conclusion that it's something you absolutely have to do, then you have to do it. 
But if you can come to the conclusion that you could do without it, stop entertaining it. Because, it, you know, it's, once you're in, you got to be all in. Right. Or you're, you're going to lose. But I would also say, if you want to do it, now is the time to go. This might be the last opportunity. And, you know, I hate to... I hate to be so hyperbolic, but it really might be the last opportunity to, to get out and get away from all that. Um, you mean they're going to make it harder to, to move, to like be, you know, to get out of cities or highly populated areas, or is that what you mean by that? Yeah, it could, it could be. I just think that it's going to be a lot harder for, for people to buy land. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Line, I mean, right now, everything that you have can still be sold for U.S. dollars, and those U.S. dollars, can you can turn around and buy land with them. But imagine tomorrow when no one, when, when you know, the dollar's worthless, and, you know, people are, are getting food rations, and you decide now, I want to buy land. Well, guess what? One acre of land is now $300,000. Some places say, well, it is. You know, I can get on Craigslist and, and sell my car. Well, fuel's you know, fifteen dollars a gallon. Nobody's buying cars right now. So no, you've you've lost the opportunity to liquidate the assets that you have and go and buy that land. So if you're gonna do it, it's time to put your big boy pants on or your big girl pants on and liquidate your assets, buy land cash down in a place where you can build a house without somebody's permission and just do it. That's that's my advice. It's it's hard hitting and uh but that's what we did. I mean, you, you kind of embrace the suck a little bit. Get out there and camp in a tent on your subfloor with a bear crawling underneath it, breathing all night. And so you sleep with a rifle in your hand, and you get it done. I'm making a note. Embrace the suck. I'm going to... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's, an army, that's an army term. Oh, sure. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense now. Um, that... That would be in the military. Um, well, cool. What do you, what would you like to promote at the end here? Uh, I got your got your Twitter. You want to tell people where they can with where they can find you and follow you? Yeah, I mean, so I'm on Twitter. At my handle, I think they call it, is at symbol, and then it's Caleb Jones, J O N E. Uh, uh, you can follow me on there. Some t- I, I talk about all kinds of bullshit, and you know I might be a good follow for you, or you might I might just make you mad. I don't know, but I say a lot of dumb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's kind of that's, that's kind of my outlet for stupid. <laughs> that's that's totally fine. I'll have a link for that in the show notes. And um, did you wanna? Uh, are you keeping your wife's Instagram private? People are welcome to follow her. Uh, she's at emus dot and dot walruses. I think is what it is, right? Uh, let's see what you sent me or no, here. Emus and shows. That's it. Emus and shows. Uh, yeah. There's a funny story behind. Yeah, emus and shows. So e m u s dot a n d dot s h o w s. Yeah, there's a whole story behind that one too. <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah, anybody can go follow her. I already. Uh, doxter earlier by using your name so 
Well, if the, if yeah, people are yeah, super curious, she'll. Hard enough. They can find us. Yeah, I was gonna say she doxed you right back in uh, in in some of her Instagram posts. So. Yeah, sure. That's. Yeah, I was on there until recently. <laughs> so, well, hey, man, I really appreciate your time, and uh, thank you for being on. Yeah, thanks, man. It was a good experience. Everybody, thanks for watching. Please like, subscribe, and most importantly, share this video with everyone. Check out our website, farmhoplife.com. Email me anytime, matt at farmhoplife.com. And I'm always looking for people to interview. If you'd like to come on to talk about homesteading, farming, food security, um, anything like that, go to farmhoplife.com slash guest and fill out the form. And I'll take it from there. See you soon.